Can I say I won't give it up? Bill Evans, aka Youngblood, welcome to the podcast. Dude, I've been a fan for a long time. I'm, I can't wait to blow some minds. I I mean I don't I don't want to ask you any I like I want to like dig right in. I have a ton of questions for you. Awesome. Um. Now we've known each other uh, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you because your um, original band, Barefoot Truth, uh, a thousand years ago, reached out to my band, The Sweet Remains, to to do some work together, to to do some shows together, and it was very clear very early on that what you guys were doing completely surpassed what what does we remains we're doing and i just want to i want to touch on that eventually but i'd love to start with um kind of what was inspiring as a young kid talk to me about um where you grew up tell me about the music that was played in your house and 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 then I ha- I have a bunch of questions after that, but let's start there. Just early, mm. early Will Evans. Like, what's like? What are the songs? What are the albums? What are the who are the artists that are inspiring you? Mm. Um, just to touch on your Sweet Remains uh, analysis, <laughs> uh, in in comparison to Barefoot Truth, I I think that's a it's hard. It's, we were a product of the times, right? Like we, we started as a young group and there was a lot of energy behind us because all our friends were 18 to 21 and excited about going out to see shows. And, um, so it was just that whole, like, and we kind of caught the wave of Pandora radio just, just as it was beginning. Um, so yeah. And I always looked at you guys as the the sort of beacon of what i had what i hoped to become as a songwriter and and uh just as a a music fan the you know the way you brought harmonies in reminded me this is going to swing back to your question a lot of the early csn and why music that i would listen to my parents had a record player in the basement um i actually started um my music career in the baptist church uh i grew up in a little town called mystic connecticut and i sang in the choir i think when i was in the second grade i started singing in the choir and i knew that um that was where i was meant to be because i i had no interest in the other parts of church really but the music was um was why my you know my mom could get me out of bed Sunday morning to be able to hear the resonance, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but just when you would sing in a, in a huge space like that, you know, there was this natural reverb that I was unaware of at the time, but it was so addicting to hear, hear the resonance. And, and I remember, um, the choral group, everybody sang the same note. It was, you know, they taught us the melody and I would instinctively start singing harmony 
you know, from a very young age, like probably seven, eight years old. Mm -hmm. And the, the teacher, um, didn't discourage it, which was nice. She did tell me to maybe tone it down a little because I, I, you know, it was me versus like 13 kids. So I was belting to try to be heard, you know, in harmony with everyone else. But, um, but that was kind of my first memory of music is, is finding, um, you know, a space that, that allows you to really explore. Um, and, and then from there, you know, I kind of transitioned into more traditional, um, instruments like piano and trumpet. And, um, I played trumpet all the way through freshman year of high school. Um, we, we moved around, we moved a few times when I was, uh, in, middle school and in high school, we ended up back in Connecticut after some time in Vermont. And, um, when I got back to Connecticut, um, I was the only boy in chorus and Mm. the director had a thing for Disney musicals. And like, it was, it really turned me off to music altogether. And, Mm. and the, um, you know, it's really just a testament to the, the, the directors that I had in music in Vermont were super hip sixth grade. I was in an acapella group called good vibrations. And 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 where in Vermont, uh, that was in Shelburne. Okay. Um, and we, uh, you know, we played, we, we did, um, obviously a lot of beach boy tunes and, and huge harmony type of, uh, just cool music, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. Beatles and, and, um, and then to go back to transition back to Connecticut life, uh, I, you know, was kind of, I had missed a bunch of years in between and I was the new kid again, kind of outcast, you know, whereas it was cool to be in music in Vermont at this kind of like Waldorfy school I was going mm-hmm. to in the public school in Connecticut. It was like, you know, you weren't, cool unless you were an athlete and that was kind mm-hmm. of it you know there were the jocks and then the the uh, musicians and i was i want i was straddling both but it wasn't it wasn't going well <laughs> right right um so i quit music after freshman year uh of of high school um you know after playing in the all-state jazz band on P, uh trumpet you know i really got into jazz and like improvisational music um and then I just hung it all up because I couldn't stand the dynamic, you know. Um, and thank goodness my parents finally caved at that point. And sophomore year, they they allowed me to to get a drum set for the first time. And that was kind of my my reawakening or my my uh, yeah my my yeah. It just became this new road of discovery where I, I didn't need to be in an organized musical setting. I could do it on my own. And mm-hmm. I had a few friends who jammed, um, guitar and, and bass. And we, and we started this little band called overdrive <laughs> and, uh, clearly, th- clearly. it was, it was, you know, we, we would shake the basement floors of my parents. house. I don't know how my father would sit upstairs <laughs> reading the paper yeah. on the weekends, but the floors literally would rattle and we would, you know, it seemed every week we would, our bass player would trade his amp in and, and, oh no, I need a bigger, you know, need more sound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's rolling like an amp peg 
across the kitchen floor. Like, right. as I said, my parents, God bless them because, yeah. you know, they had to endure those early rehearsals of just Mary Jane's last dance over and over again. And, <laughs> you know, immigrant song, like five times slower than it's meant to be, but just butchering our way through it. And we were, I was just so obsessed with, you know, classic rock and, and just that, that we could, we could make music without any structure at all. Um, so, so who are some of those early bands that you really connected with? Uh, certainly Led Zeppelin became, you know, as a drummer, you, right. you have, you know, you can't deny what John Bonham did for so many basement drummers. Right. Um, and I, um, I just admired his musicality as well. It, you know, I really got into, um, a lot of the acoustic tunes that Zeppelin would do mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as, as well. And, you know, I have a, a distinct memory of the first time I heard stairway to heaven. Mm. I, I was in my friend's, um, room lying on the floor and he had just got a new, like the newest, uh, Sony stereo system. And I brought my CD collection over and we listened to, um, you know, we listened to stairway and it was just like this, I remember closing my eyes and just going on this journey. And mm -hmm. by the end of it, I was just so moved and, and was mm -hmm. just, and, you know, just completely committing myself without realizing it at that mm -hmm. age to, mm -hmm. to this, to this path, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't long after that, that I started sort of toying around with writing. You know, my dad showed me a few chords on his, his, uh, old Martin 73 Martin, um, which was, was a wedding gift that my mom gave him, saved mm. up for. And, um, you know, for those of you who don't know guitar, or play guitar, that's kind of like the red rider BB gun of acoustics. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so what he, a, he taught what a cool gift, right? I mean, like what a cool, oh. like, just a moment of, of recognition, like, mm -hmm. and, 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 and for the wedding too, but like, what a what a killer killer moment like this beautiful oh, it's like from the heavens you know it comes down mm -hmm. um, you glossed over some shit which i want to go back to <laughs> i um, did yes yeah you, you glossed over like you know the first whatever 16 years of your life um mm. i didn't realize that you were involved uh with the trumpet in jazz music mm. is that a function of like what like um, I remember in fourth grade um, being asked, all right, what, which, which instrument do you want? And I remember walking into a room and someone had a trumpet, someone had a saxophone. There was a trombone and there was a girl with drumsticks. And I went right to the drumsticks. And I don't really know why. Did you have a moment like that where um very early on you were i mean you must have been attracted to the trumpet or was that a function of the instruments that were available in the format that you were in like the format mm -hmm. being whatever school band or whatever yeah i think i i absolutely would have preferred to play the drums um i remember you know there's video of me playing pots and pans on the floor of the kitchen mm -hmm. as a toddler and I think that because my sister 
who was two years older than me was given the trumpet. Hmm. It was just that, because it was because then, it was know, around. She, yeah. She gave up on it pretty quickly. And then, you know, I was the next stop for whatever was lying around and that was what we had. Um, right. and I'm, you know, I'm really grateful. I had that instrument to, cause I really, I really did get into it. I was horrible at reading music mm. and, and still don't, but I, I could, it really helped me train my ear because mm-hmm. as I, uh, ascended in the ranks of, you know, um, of, of, uh, the jazz band, there's, you know, there's the, there's like third trumpet plays all mm-hmm. the low stuff. Second's right. kind of the middle melody. First trumpet's playing the real high shit. Right. And, and I became a first trumpet by the time I was, um, in eighth grade and I couldn't read music. I couldn't sight read, Whoa. but I was so good at, at picking up the one kid who was really good at sight reading. <laughs> I would pretend like I wasn't hearing or I was, I was still trying to figure it out while he was playing the actual sight read part. Right, and right, then right. I would, then I would memorize his, what he was doing <laughs> and quickly play it back. So that's how I got through all my lessons. Yeah. I would wait, I would wait for the, I would literally, I'd be having anxiety about, you know what we'd have because we'd always have a class that would start with sight reading and i was like fuck i can't i can't do it but i if i could fake you know like oh i'm still figuring it out hold on what's that right. one more time yeah let then, me, and, yeah let me look at that like, one more time or, yeah, yeah. or like or yeah. i i literally brian i remember being like oh oh uh, i'm not ready yet like i i, I blow my i blow my <laughs> like the, the spit valve the spit valve like 50 times while i'm you know, in that first run through while the other guys are right. are struggling through it and I'm picking right. up what they're doing. Right. So then I could play it. And, and, you know, it was, a, a, it was a nightmare, but also like, that's just how I learned. Right. And I, I kind of wish that that was more encouraged, mm-hmm. you know, like when I, I do some, I've done some lessons for kids in the pa- in past couple of years, especially with the pandemic. Um, yeah. And I pretty much say straight up, I'm like, Hey, this isn't going to be your traditional, like, you know, this is how you read and write music. I'm just going to show you how I learned. And if it works for you, great. And, and for a lot of people who just want to, you know, have a, have a little bit of a relationship with music, they don't want to bother with all the, the mm-hmm. nitty gritty of the, the um, theory and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can do both, you're, you're a fucking, you're the champ, right? You're a John right. Mayer. Like you can, right. you can hear it, read it and spell it backwards. Right. But for me, like the more I learned and, and grinded through like the math of music, the less interest I had in creating it because I was like, well, that's been done before. I've, you know, mm. and I know a lot of, I know a lot of cats who have a hard time writing because they're like, oh, well, that's just another one five four, or that's right. Like, but no, no, but no. You see that little thing I'm doing here makes it different, and and it's pulling me along further. And I think that's the trick in this, in this business. I feel like is is you know, like I always, I don't know about you, but like, do you ever worry like the well's gonna run out? Like you're gonna have of, nothing of, to. Of course, and the, and the, yeah. and this is definitely something that I want to rap about, but. Um, I'm just so thankful that I have the sweet remains because mm. I get to collaborate with two songwriters mm-hmm. that I really love and respect and trust. Right. Um, yeah. I, you know, 
in the last couple of years, I haven't really felt that inspired to write my own music. Um, but thankfully, I'm in a band where we're getting th- like Richie writes a song before breakfast, you know, before he dips that mm-hmm. English breakfast tea in that hot water, he has something for you. So mm-hmm. if you can, um, if you can be a part of that, and it's been very helpful for me creatively, mm-hmm. um, it that's incredible because that's it. It kind of gets me over the hump in in a sense that um, just being able to collaborate and and get new inspiration when it's not coming naturally has been very helpful. So the story goes is sponsored by Santan Brewing Company. I love Santan. I like their beers. I'm sipping on a devil's ale as we speak. They also have great spirits. One of my favorite ryes on the planet uh, is distilled by Santan Brewing Company. Oh, my. They have some uh, brew pubs. They got one in Chandler, Arizona. They got one at Terminal 3 at the Phoenix Airport. I'm here to tell you, though, about their new event space, Santan Gardens. And they have a bunch of really kick-ass events coming up. I want to tell you about some stand-up comedy that is happening this week, March 25th and 26th. Harland Williams will be performing. Tickets are $35 general admission with a two-drink minimum or, if you're a high roller, VIP tickets for 75 bones. It's located at 495 East Warner Road in Chandler, Arizona. If you want to have more information... Go to santanbrewing.com forward slash events. You know, I felt this kind of sense of of community in my high school once I found music, once I found that I, you know, we had this competition called Mr. Falcon, right? Which is probably be canceled nowadays because <laughs> it was super like, you know, it was basically a male uh, Miss America pageant or whatever. You know, we would all have we'd all have female escorts, and it was all yeah, about that, the guy. You canceled right there. So as soon as you oh, say we've had female escort, done. And it's funny. I think about it now. I'm like, wow. I, you know, I don't even know if they do it anymore. I don't think they do. But um, I played. Um, this was the first time I had ever performed on acoustic and sing and sang in front of people, yeah. and it was full. You know, Max. Ca- capacity auditorium everybody in school comes to this it's a high school event yes high school event in kinetic sophomore year and i sat in a chair and played my dad's acoustic through Mm. a a fender amp and Mm. because you know they didn't have a di or anything like that didn't have a pa probably no they did have a pa but it was like you know the kind that they right the speaker yeah yeah yeah, they they called a school lunch through (laughs) sloppy joe's and so, Love it, Joe. so I was singing through a mic where the PA was kind of in the ceiling or whatever. Right, so right. Ho- horrible. And I sang um, that song. I think it's called Outside by Stained. Oh. I'm on the outside. Yeah, I'm yeah, looking. Yeah. It. It's yeah. super like, you know, that was like the beginning of butt rock. I feel like in the right. yes. mid to late 90s. Yes. And um but that song was very easy on guitar. It was huge at the time, and I played it, and I and I won Mr. Talent, which was is runner up. Mr. Falcon's like I was just you know, gonna say, are, yeah. Mr. Falcon is like always 
that was always the jock. So guess, you know, the football, <laughs> the football captain won again, right, right, right. two years, the two years in a row, I did it both times. The football captain won. So, <laughs> and what did he do? What was he, what uh, was he up there doing? He, well, I remember the year I lost to him. He, uh, he danced to ice ice baby. And <sighs> I think the part that, that sunk me was, um, when the part where the song goes, turn the lights out and I glow. He had the lights cut in the whole auditorium and he threw glow sticks out into the audience. And I was like, Oh, I'm done. Like you can't, how could you compete production wise? That show was very thoroughly thought through. Totally. And uh, that was it. So I, I, uh, but I, both years in a row, I was runner up. So I, I kept thinking like, okay, like this is, I'm on to um, something. I'm on it. And it would, you know, like the, I just remember the week after Mr. Falcon, like just going to school with like beaming, right? Like I would, my, my, like like, pounding my chest, like, yes, I found something, you know, like something that makes me cool, unique, whatever. And I think as a, as a kid, like that's all you could hope for, ask for is just this, you just want to be respected and like, you know, like, well, I think you, I think you said it. It's you want to be unique, you know, you want to be unique, but you, at the same time, you want to be a part of something, right? You can't Mm -hmm. be the outsider necessarily. I hear you. No, I, I, um, I think you're right. I think it was really just, like you said, recognizing that this was something that, you know, really like you felt, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I remember the nerves of, Mm -hmm that day and and when the you know the lights house lights came up mm-hmm. and i'm sitting by myself mm-hmm. and just the the act of getting through it mm-hmm. was such a um, a victory mm-hmm. for a young for a young you know prepubescent kid i remember just the 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 relief that i had but also just like feeling i could feel and you you've i know you felt this before but i could feel when i had the room Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. it changed, it changed from like, oh, who's this? You know, who's this kid? To like, oh, who's this? Like, I'm. Oh, right. I know him, and right. and I could feel the energy. You know, there's this started to be like, they were with me. By the mm-hmm. end of it, they're you know they're singing along, and I I've never I'm getting like emotionally excited about it. Just thinking about yeah. it, I've never experienced that in any other anything I've ever done. You know, this right. like incredible gift that that music is that it allows you to orchestrate a, an audience or a group of people in yeah. a way that that is unfathomable in any other career i feel like like maybe make a public speaker who's like you know like a martin luther king or somebody who really mm-hmm. whoops a crowd into a frenzy not in the trump way but like right, in a in right. like a unified way you know right. like this this it's it's so powerful and i think mm-hmm. that from then on i was like how do I get more of that shit? Right. How do right. you know? I I want and 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 beyond that, like I want them singing my words, like oh. you know, and, and and then you know, it just it just snowballed from there. It's like it, I just started writing music later in high school and college years. You know, became like I went to college, studied history, and took a bunch of electives in like West African drumming and everything I could do music. Yeah. And I was, you know, I had a, a band, a business going by sophomore year in college. I was gone every weekend uh, instead of, you know, 
going to play sports or whatever. I was going to play my friends' schools. I played all, I played probably every, you know, Northeast college and prep school that I knew somebody at for, for the next three years. And I know Clint did a lot of that with the Griff guys. And yeah. it was such a, 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 like a fruitful time as a, as a young person to do, to go like see what everybody else's click was like, and then come in and be like the, the cool, you know, friend or whatever. We'd play yeah. fat parties, we'd play house parties, whatever. Yeah. And sleep on the floor it was the best like just you know it, just it to roll into a new school and be like who, who are these guys you know and that's how it built that's how it grew right. really quickly barefoot played a gig um a pre like it was a a rally for president obama 2008 and we were playing uh on the same day and stage as bruce ormsby and crosby and nash no pressure and I mean, why we would you were, feel any pressure for that? We've been waiting all day long for our set. We're and how old are you on. at this point? Uh, 20, I think I was 24, 23, 24. Okay. Um, so it's 2008. So shit. Do the math on that. I was 22, 22 years old not that good <laughs> and and still are uh, still not but like i was really not good <laughs> and i mean the, we're playing with these motherfuckers like who are legends right and ormsby shows up and he's got a gig the next day he, he needs to get to so he asks if he can swap sets with us and and oh my god so barefoot truth goes instead of before the real talent of the day that everybody's there for <laughs> Bear for Truth is going to be sandwiched between Bruce Ormsby and Crosby and Nash. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, you know, like the the fact that they even allowed us to play was was a blessing, I suppose, but also <laughs> just set us up for failure. But, you know, I remember just being like terrified as well, like the actual like the actual roadies showed up and the actual crew that like not just the people that were on site for the day trying to like get through all the, you know, the local bands, the actual like professionals showed up to take over. And, and in between that, we had to get a, you know, what ended up being like a 15 minute slot. And I'm pretty sure that the only thing that was on for our set was my vocal <laughs> and maybe the drums. I don't, I don't think I heard any, like the audience was like crickets Cause they were just listening to like, they're probably like, this is some new age shit, man. Like just the acapella drummer. Right. And some, I don't know what those other three dudes are. Talking. Maybe I think that, you know, I think the harmonica was live too. <laughs> so we had some harmonica drums and vocal. Oh my God. And, and then walking off stage and, and there's Graham Nash, you know, oh getting great. And I like shook his hand and was just like, you know, like, I have your record, you know, like I yeah. listened to it in my parents' basement and, you know, he was very nice, but they went on and they played, they blew my mind. They played, you know, they sounded so good. And, hmm. and it also kind of is a, you know, that's another part of this business. That's just, mm -hmm. there's so many hurdles, right. But like mm -hmm. when you see a band like us struggle through a set like that and Yes, we're, we weren't as good, but so much of it is dependent on the, the, 
you know, the sound technician, the, the oh, yeah. other people that are at the venue who it, it depends on them giving a shit mm-hmm. for you to, for you to even have a chance. Right. You know, and, and I've just come across that situation so many times. And mm-hmm. I think you and I've talked a lot about like when we, we played in Europe, they get it. They care mm-hmm. over there. Like mm-hmm. for whatever reason that seems to have eluded a lot of clubs and venues in the U S but like just to show up and, and be able to, you know, share your passion in the way it was, you were hoping for it to be heard, you know, is, is such a challenge. Well, and as soon as you eliminate that X factor where I, Mm -hmm. you know, we've done enough touring in the States to know that one night might be incredible. The next night might be complete shit. But as soon as you eliminate that, and you know that at least it's going to sound good. You know, they're going to, yeah. they're going to feed me dinner and they're, you know, like, the, like a couple things just make everything go easier. And as soon as you eliminate the anxiety of not knowing what kind of um, PA setup you're going to get into, what the stage is going to be, the lights, whatever, as soon as you realize it, no, no, we'll, we'll be cool. You're just allowed the the space and the time to present your art. And I definitely want to, I definitely want to talk about Europe. You brought up barefoot. I have a bunch of other questions, but let's take a break. You're out of juice. I can, I, can, I am, I can <laughs> hear it. I can. <laughs> Go get another whisk. God damn it. And All I'll, right, brother. I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> so the story goes is also sponsored by my ladies. My gals, my chicas, my mamacitas. Of course, I'm talking about Becky, Kate, and Carrie. The Engstrom team. Come on, this is the mother-daughter real estate team with Coldwell Banker Realty. These ladies helped me uh, purchase my first home. And I got to tell you, as someone who has no idea about how to do any of that, uh, they were awesome. They walked me through it, held my hand, hugged me when I really needed a hug. Now, we've all heard that the market is crazy, but if you're wondering if you should be purchasing over renting or remodeling over selling, they'll give you honest advice. Is this the right time to buy or sell? Becky, Kate, and Carrie will talk the whole process out with you, and there's no pressure. These ladies don't like the pressure. There's no drama, okay? It's like talking to family, unless there's drama in your family. Anyway, you understand what I'm saying. Contact the Engstrom team, 480-250-1936. Tell them Brian sent you. And uh, I'm not sure they'll do anything special. No, they will totally. Just contact the Engstrom team. They're going to help you out. Trust me. What What made you decide to go to St. Anselm? Uh, St. Mike's. St. Mike's. Wait, what did I say? St. Anselm. That's like a private school. Uh, St. Anselm's is, I think, like the New Hampshire version okay. of St. Mike's, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so St. Mike's in Burlington, Vermont. Yep. What What made you decide to do that? Um, honestly, dispatch. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, I had a dispatch DVD, mm. Mm. which, uh, oddly enough, Rich Price filmed a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> and uh how crazy one of the shows what yeah it's it's it, the yeah the, sort of like the connection of that, yeah. that group that that band has to vermont and like 
you know, our, our niche of friends and musician folk is insane. Um, but that's another, you know, tribute to the, the power of music in this community that explodes from something that's happening. Right. Right. Um, I was, I later in high school, I think senior year, I, I was introduced to dispatch and this was and just, when I was starting. Just hit me with it with, with, with the time. What, 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 what year was this? Um, 2002, 2003. Okay. Um, and so dispatch is blowing up. You know, it's funny. You get out West where I am and dispatch isn't such a thing, but in new England, Eastern seaboard and you know, it's it was a thing. It was the sound. I mean, it, you know, not the first indie band to do this, but certainly a soundtrack to so many people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even hip to it. I I didn't know Dispatch, and, and I I left Massachusetts when I was twenty seven, having never really heard of them. But it was such a thing. And yeah, maybe you can talk briefly about how you got connected to that band. It's basically, it was a, a three-piece band that started at Middlebury College, which our friend and my colleague, uh, Rich Price, was was connected to. Um, he was roommates with, with, with Pete, Pete Francis. Of, right. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, yeah. So what were they doing? I mean, let, like, if if we put on our, our you know, kind of like marketing and... and um, Sure, A&R. <laughs> A&R hat. Yeah. yeah. What do you think that they were doing right? I think that they provided the perfect soundtrack for dormitory uh, aspiring guitarists and musicians alike who wanted to woo girls and kind of also like play these sort of happy soundtrack like it, it, it's 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 acoustic based right so the right. i think the barrier of entry is very easy for anybody who's learning how to play music okay and i think around that time was when you know tablatures were becoming widely avail- available i don't know if youtube was a thing yet mm. but well everybody anybody who had a had an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. could play the general could play the you know these and i mean l- not to take anything away from the songwriting, the songwriting is, is, is brilliant. It's, it's, um, it's sort of storytelling. So it, you know, which has been done before, but in a way that was relatable, I think to sort of young college aged kids and and high school kids. Let's, let's, it's definitely specific to, to a, a certain demographic though. Like, you know, like this is, middle class to upper class private schools right totally absolutely but Mm -hmm. let's let's reflect on this particular thing for a minute let's reflect on the technology at the time that this band was kind of exploding Mm -hmm. so yes they were doing tours but at the same time the, the the internet was kind of literally coming online. I mean, I, mm-hmm. so now you have a medium through which people can communicate on a very broad scale. You have Napster, which yep. allows for music to be disseminated 
across the globe at, at the drop of a hat. So I just, I feel like, you know, I guess in the same way that say Jack Johnson has a, has a similar appeal. It's, you know, if you're, if you're starting out on guitar, playing a Jack Johnson song is something that you can get your hands around literally. But I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I wasn't, I wasn't a part of this thing, but um, the way I see it is that, you know, you're in New England where there there are a number of schools that have a budget to to pay you. Uh, we're now getting exposed to this brand new technology, and it's a, it's music that if you're a beginner, you can get your hands around. Mm-hmm. Is that the case? I mean, was that the case? Um, yeah, I mean, they they were, you know, admittedly, I think they talk about the influence Napster had on their careers. Mm. Whereas, you know, so many bands, major label bands and, and legacy acts, you know, like the Eagles and that type of, those type of acts were, were pissed that their music was being shared as these files for free. Right. And, and, you know, for a, for an independent band, it, it kind of became this, this, entrance to to the to the table or you know mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. seat at the table rather whereas all the and, and they got they were like no go ahead share our music you know this is free promotion for us like we right. would never even have had the chance and i think right. a lot of their their the early shows that they did which were live and you know let's be honest they, they also just they had they had such a chemistry as three you know similar to the sweet remains three unique individual songwriters mm. but coming together to to blend in a way that it you know it's it's there's bands that have done in the past and and it's a it's such a rare and, and interesting thing to see um and and you could it's it was easy to see to get behind it and really you know feel like you were you know they were part of your life and and you know i just remember going seeing them playing in this dvd at St. Michael's College, and I was like, "Shit, that school must be cool if they had dispatch," you know. And that's those are the type of decision making thing tools I used as many adolescents during that time. You know, I was like, "Well, if dispatch play there, it must be cool. I'm go, I'm going to apply," and and I'm glad I did because it did. You know, it had. You know, honestly, the first time I met Clint, he was playing a show at St. Mike's in our in our um, you know like late night after hours pub type of thing. Yeah. And um I remember the grift playing and I was like, this is why I want, you know, this is why I want to be in the college because I want to be ex- immersed with with this type of stuff. And it quickly, you know, as unfortunately for music, it the first thing to get cut from any budget is entertainment. And right. it's it's a shame because that's really a re- a lot of the reason why you know, the, the, those are the memories I remember the most from my experiences is, is are the, those moments where, where I could, I saw live music that I never would have had the chance to because the, the school board brought it on campus. And, you know, I think dispatch really just were, it was such an interesting timing for them that were, mm-hmm. where, like you said, they, they were, you know, kind of in this upper class school and doing a thing and it's, it, it started to spread amongst all those other NESCAC schools and mm-hmm. the, the private schools. And it didn't take long for it to, to get everywhere. And all of a sudden they're playing colleges and they're filling up 
gyms and auditoriums and um wow and that was really you know as a for me as a as a business-minded person um especially when when jay and i started barefoot we were like we're following that model because mm-hmm. look at what it's i mean we went and saw them in boston there are hundred and ten thousand people there mm. and these guys have never been signed or, or, or had a song on a radio. Didn't they like, um, they shut down like Storo drive. This, I was at this concert and it was unbelievable. Like the night before they did a, a, um, a free show for like their fans that they announced the day of at the Somerville theater. Jay was on like the dispatch. Um, this was the other thing too, is like the, the invention of and creation of the street team mm-hmm. um, was, was all sort of new to, to the industry because right, right. labels were the band's street team. Street they did team. all the, right. they did the business, right? Like right. you just shuffled to strawberries or FYE and paid $30 for a CD. And that was, you know, and the band probably saw a penny of that. Right. Right. Um, but the label then covered their expenses in the studio and all the other stuff. Right. But now you're talking about like a band who's, empowering their fans to go out there and like we i would i was hmm. part of the street team i would poster i would flyer i would talk in the chat rooms about you know it was it was an, a coming of age for the industry and and mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and seeing that starting to happen in the shift you know jay was very good at it he you know, who's my bandmate and original member of barefoot truth was just we were just called barefoot and it was just the two of us and we would play in the summer in the CT and Rhode Island shoreline, playing bars, restaurants with no shoes on. People started calling us barefoot. And we would play a lot of dispatch covers. And then we were writing a lot of our own music. And um, we were just like, let's jump on this train. You know, like right. we've got four years of college to promote, market, and tour essentially without any help. We can just call friends or, 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 right. or what have you and, and see if their school has a budget, you know, 200 bucks. Great. Pizza. Right. Awesome. We're there. Right. And we would, we play, like I said, we, I can't tell you how many schools I visited yeah. <laughs> during those four years. Um, it was awesome. And, and, and when we finished college, we had a, we had literally had a, you know, a, a LLC right. that we, we, you know, we were like, we don't, we're not getting jobs cause we have, we have a business going here. And, you know, and then it was a number of years of that until we kind of hit that next level where you're you're like, okay, shit, like if we, if we want to eventually have own a home and and have wives and families, like, you know, is everyone going to be okay with continuing this journey? Because if if they are, we need to go, we need to hammer it now Mm -hmm. for the next 10 years to try to get to a level where, Mm -hmm. you know you can kind of you need to go beyond where you you eventually end up so that you can end up at a sustainable level where you know you're playing places 300 to 500 cap everybody makes a livable wage and you know isn't completely burnt out and if you can do that then you've fucking solved the riddle (laughs) (laughs) but clearly you know we couldn't do it i mean we got to a point where it was you know, I remember <laughs> I had appendicitis. We had just started a tour. We played yeah. Philadelphia World Cafe. Yeah. Um, 
downstairs. We we moved into the big room. It was a nice. Thursday night. You know, we probably put 250 people in there, um, which is maybe a quarter of the room size. But it felt really good. And, you know, there was this momentum. Uh, you know, we're playing a city five hours from home and there's 250 people there. Yeah. Next night we were at uh, Jam and Java. Yep. Show was like, you Vienna, know, Virginia. Very, yep. Very yeah. well sold show. I started to kind of have a stomach ache on the ride there and played the show was in immense pain and just not sure what's going on. You know, we stayed the night in Vienna and the next morning I was in the hospital getting an appendectomy and the band, the band was freaked. I think it was like this kind of wake up call for everyone. Uh, they're like, Oh shit, I don't want to be in the middle of nowhere and have this type of thing happen to me or whatever, right. you know, like I, I want to be home. And it's a very difficult crossroads for, I think for some people who, when you realize like the comforts of home life and, and the aspirations of the, you know, American dream we, we spoke of yeah. uh, don't exist <laughs> in this industry. Right. Uh, even at the top level. I mean, I've ridden right. in tour buses and it's still, grinding you know you're right. you're in a little coffin for months at a time and you have to share space with a lot of people and if that's not your thing like you're going to burn out real quick because the, the the show is only an hour and a half two hours long right and the other 22 hours of the day you know you're this is your reality just wanted to thank you guys for listening to so the story goes i hope you are enjoying these conversations as much as I am, if you dig it, please rate it, uh, tell your friends about it, share it on social media, uh, tell everyone you know. Okay, bye. 2003, I graduated high school and I was uh, working as a lifeguard in this little summer community called Groton Long Point. Um, and... I would uh, sit in the stands and the lifeguard tower, there was literally like there'd be over the course of the day, like five people in the water on some days, you know, Um, especially during the midweek, like there'd be very few people to watch. And it's, 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 um, it's inside of uh, Fisher's Island sound. So if you know your geography of new England, there's no, waves it's very flat it's like a lake basically so there's not a whole lot of guarding to be done um most of the day so i would have i had this nylon string guitar and i would sit and play music in the stand and jay um would come down with his family in summer for the month of july i think usually Mm. and a friend of ours a mutual friend of ours introduced us and we started jamming in the lifeguard tower and um, I think he ended up taking a job as a lifeguard too, because he saw that he could get paid and, and also play some music. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking two birds with one stone. Let's exactly. do this. Exactly. Yeah. So we we you know that was the first summer we just kind of jammed a little bit, and I think we had a couple of small garage concert gigs for for some local folks, um, and then we got our first gig playing at this place called the Blue Door, and they would pay us. Uh, it was a friend of mine. Uh, his older brother opened this restaurant 
and it was BYO, um, and they would pay us with a meal, uh, which was fine with you know with us. We were working shit out, and we would come in um, with our oversized you know, a PA that was oversized for this too big for you know? the space. Sure, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the first night, you know, we started played a song, and then somebody told us to turn down. <laughs> um, and then by the end of the night, we got a fifty dollar tip to keep playing. Oh my. So, you know, light bulbs are going off. We're like, holy shit. And we just do a tip jar, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we'd walk with at least $200 in tips and our friends would all show up with 30 racks of bush light. Come on. <laughs> and they'd buy some apps and that, and that was all you needed to do to stay at the table. <laughs> and Oh, because it was BYOB. So they could bring a fucking 30 rack of, whatever bush was, lights it, or whatever it, it was uh it was you know we kind of ruined this restaurant's reputation <laughs> but we played there every friday night for the next two summers and we worked you know we worked out so much music and, and yeah. it was just like having a residency like that yeah. and a faithful fall i mean we would pack the place every thursday every friday oh and God. um you know my i know my dad will tell you is some of the most fun nights of his you know <laughs> later years because he would bring a couple bottles of wine and, ah, yeah you know he'd, he'd pay like twenty dollars for his meal and that was it for the night <laughs> and Perfect. they would they would have a ball they would set up you know like it, it just you know it was such a natural and easy uh, and this is in mystic yeah it's in mystic this place yeah. the blue well the, it went out of business um but it's the, the it's a restaurant called Kitchen Little now, and um, we should go there for breakfast sometime because it's Let's just it. you'll you'll get a kick out of like the space. You know, it 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 probably there's probably like a total of five tables in it, and we would put like a hundred people in there, and it would just be like I said, like empties everywhere, <laughs> like just it it was. <laughs> That's awesome. So and, this uh, is wait, this is this is pre St. Mike's. Right. This is the summer before. Yeah. Summer before. So when, at what point did you, I mean, you, you and Jay got together and you both decided to go to St. Mike's together or was that the the separate decisions? And you're like, Oh my God, you're going to, I'm going to. Yeah. No, his dad wouldn't pay for him to go to St. Mike's. Um, and I had a scholarship, so he went to UMass. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. So So, he wasn't going to St. Mike's. He would just come up on the week. He would, but he would come up. Almost every weekend, we would we would drive to meet each other. We play. We, we wrote a bunch of songs in JQA, um, mm. and uh, you know we played down in the. I remember a couple of the shows where the the university would hire us. We'd play uh, down between like all the high rises, and it's like in Southwest all, there. Yeah, and it's all concrete, right? Yes. It's yeah. and the the slapback was like. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like yeah, you know, if yeah. we, if we were on an all reggae band, it would have been sick. But it was so <laughs> obnoxious and hard to like play because you'd be like, right. it would be bouncing off all the yeah, yeah, yeah. concrete around you. That's but yeah, funny. we played, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, all the freshman year, we kind of wrote and became like a band, and then that summer we really like were like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna record, and I think that was the summer we went to see Dispatch. Mm. um play their last shows in in uh, boston 
mm-hmm. and we ran into as i told you we went to the the, the show at the somerville theater the mm-hmm. night before their final show it was like a warm-up gig and we ran into um their producer jack gothier who was at the show and we gave him a demo tape and said you know like we we loved you know we were upset we were passionate fans and we you know, in the, in their documentary, we knew all the characters in it. So everybody who was in the documentary who was at the I show, see. we could re- we recognized them all. We were fanboying hard. Yeah, and and we met the band behind the stage. You know, and uh, we we were just cruising around the venue hoping to see them. And we see Chad and Brad coming down the alley. We're like, oh shit! You know, like there's video of us pulling up to them and putting the camera down, and then you can hear us having a conversation. Oh my god! And it's it's really funny. Jay has all this like really catalog really well um and that's that's really like the start of a barefoot it was like we we connected with their producer and you know he's just a great normal dude yeah it was like sure i'll work with you guys like right. and we were like holy shit you know yeah and we recorded a full album with him and um it just kind of yeah what you know it's 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 as as you're you probably remember your first band you know like there was just this energy behind it all of a yeah. sudden yeah and yeah it's because all your friends are like fired up about it and and it, it's like this great you know the community was behind us down you know and we right. what was what was cool for us is we had like the mystic and the seashore kind of town mm-hmm. um where a lot of people would come for the summer and then they would take the music back to their Right. Various locations. And and I would say that that's part of the reason why Dispatch was so successful was that yeah. you hit them all at, at college and then they go home and then they spread it. And then those people go to college and then they spread it. You know, like it's like, I mean, talk about viral marketing, like that's OG viral marketing. And totally. these little these little centers would then spread out for the summer, get their friends excited about it. And then they would want them to come to their school. And, and that's how it just kind of like organically grew, which, I mean, yeah. can that even happen again? I mean, can, can we do that again? I don't know. I think you got to be so on whatever the next big thing is. And like, I tried to get on the TikTok bandwagon early on and I just, it, it made me so deeply sad <laughs> like that I, that I couldn't, I couldn't continue. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm usually an optimistic person, but I, I really don't, I don't know. And I feel for a lot of young artists. I mean, I, yeah. I suppose like the, if you're really good at producing or beat making, right. that's kind of like where you're seeing a lot of young people excel right now. Yeah. Right. But I don't, I don't see any, you know, when I go out to bars and restaurants, I don't see many young musicians who are mm-hmm. playing guitar and, right. and singing and writing, you know, and it, I'm still one of the youngest people doing that when I go, you know, when I go mm-hmm. see music at a, at a bar or a restaurant and it's, it's a little, you know, upsetting. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. what, like what's going to happen to that? Like kids you aren't know? picking up the guitar anymore. They're doing they're no. They're picking to, up the the fucking keyboard right. and they're or you know they're they're Making playing a computer. Right. Yeah, and I understand that's still music, and and I that type of <clears throat> it just isn't what excited me about 
you know, there's something, something about holding it, an actual physical piece of, you know, piece of wood in your hands or sticks or whatever, and making it physically involving yourself in the process that I, I can't, you know, I remember distinctly playing a show, uh, must've been 2000 around 2008 or nine barefoot truth. And we were playing at the university of Chicago and we opened for this DJ called girl talk. And we played our set, you know, super high energy. It was like a college and it was, you know, half full, um, outdoor kind of vibe. Kids were having some fun and stuff. We got off stage, the place packed, Mm -hmm. packed in. This dude comes up on stage with a laptop and pushes space bar. And then he has his cronies spray the audience with toilet paper guns. The place just like loses their minds. And I was, it was in that moment that I was like, Oh fuck. Like this is not good. (laughs) Right. right. And, and and this is taking a turn for the worse. (laughs) It really had. It was like, we, we aged out almost, you know, it was like, and it, and it would only been like, Less than ten years, you know. Well, maybe, maybe. and you were still in your twenties, right? I mean, it wasn't like oh, yeah. you were. You, it's not like you were so removed from that demo. No, I was maybe twenty five, twenty six. Yeah, that's that's I was, crazy. I was really like, but I remember that moment so clearly. Like this is, this is where it's going. Oh, uh, we're we're in trouble, and yeah. it hasn't completely gone that way, but it a, a big part of it has. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know to answer your question. Like, I feel like there is more music available than ever. And like, you can find your tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you almost need to be so specific with your marketing and with mm-hmm. your purpose that you, well, I feel like our, our career is all about algorithms now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you guys saw, saw a huge uptick in your Spotify algorithms for a couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you really you got a couple songs that that got picked up in the the, the songwriter uh singer songwriter or like acoustic cafe Co- coffee shop whatever your coffee totally. shop playlist what yeah mm-hmm. and that can be huge for a little while i feel like or maybe you know if you can but then it also forces you to keep kind of producing that sort of style music and and for mm-hmm. an artist like me i, I mean i write so many different sort of genres and styles it's really hard for me to pick one and just you know stay in that lane for I sure think you're that way too like i listen to yeah. your a lot of your solo records are all over the place yeah yeah and i love i love that yeah as a as a music fan and listener i love that you take it there mm-hmm. um but like how's the algorithms working for you oh uh, terrible right yeah no no but, one listens to my solo shit no i i would say i mean I mean, do you think up, if you, do you think if you were more like direct with who you're targeting, it, it they would. I I don't know, and I don't really care. I mean, mm-hmm. I, that that sounds cold and whatever. Sure. Um, I love the fact that I have an outlet for some songs with the sweet remains. I love the fact that I have an outlet for yeah. some songs just when I'm solo acoustic. I love the fact that I have an incredible band here in Phoenix that can do other shit. So, yeah. and I don't, I don't, I don't put any necessarily, I don't put any more weight in one than the other. And I don't, I just write to write. 
when I write, I write. And wherever it lands, fucking great. There's a home. It has a home, you know. Um, I did want to ask you, um, we've obviously, we've been talking about Barefoot, but, and I know that that band was around for a minute and certainly started making waves and touring and you know you had i remember some some corporate um kind of sponsorship bits it might be hard to do this but i'm wondering if you could kind of look at that moment in your career and um kind of tell me what you learned from that experience well first of all let's let's shout out um all the cats and barefoot truth let's talk about this the expanse of that career and then tell me what you learned from that experience okay um so obviously we talked about jay driscoll original founding member with me south um, Adley, come on south had um garrett duffy who i went to, to college with he was our business manager at first and then he realized he could <laughs> he could play some tasty harmonica licks and uh and, and, and his hair and his hair yeah. let's just and talk dance. about the hair real quick <laughs> and just dance around playing the harmonica like a goddamn greek god what's wrong with that yeah. guy no, nothing he he, he knew he exactly what shit. he was doing he crushed, he crushed it. that shit yeah. and and uh i think the <laughs> we'll keep so then and then andy warba joined the band uh fourth on bass uh, gr- great bass player um such a musical guy he's from pittsfield mass yeah uh the Berk- berkshire cat come on and then wayno wayno was the last element and he was sort of the young buck of our group um he's a couple years younger than all of us and he went to westfield with andy and mm. i remember seeing him play a, a recital um andy's jazz recital at, at westfield and he had mm. long hair a bandana and a full um tuxedo and he sat (laughs) (laughs) he sat at a grand piano and he just i've never been excited about a piano player before generally but the 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 guy was like hammering the thing and bouncing off and i was like that's that's our guy like that's our our final element and um one so one thing just one thing i like one thing i love about wayno is that you look at those early Barefoot Truth videos and he's a little thugged out, you know? He's got like the... He's yeah. Got like the yeah, it's like, it just aesthetically, it was a very interesting band to look at. You had very a lot different. of things going yeah. on. You're you're behind to, the kit, you know. <laughs> we did. We, we kind of had to like coerce the the jazz cats, as we call them, the jazz <laughs> twins, um, to like adopt our style and... and image J- garrett was the instrumental in that he was the one who got us all the sponsorships yeah patagonia prana all these like yoga and like lifestyle companies gave us all this free shit Incredible. to wear and we and we kind of you know started built because he really saw that he was a business major yeah and he saw what needed to happen in order for us very to smart even you know get out the door mm-hmm. um so everybody sort of tried to adapt that stuff. I mean, it was easy for Jay and myself because we kind of were already doing that type You're of thing. You're already yeah. Right. But the, God bless those guys for sure. <laughs> you know, for trying to, to you know, be hippies for, for a little while. Right. Um, but everybody, you know, was, we always said this, we're friends first. Yeah. And, and business partners 
second. So the, you know, it, but it's so hard to say that and live it. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we rented a house together for three years after college. It was meant to be like this time of great creating and, and, you know, really committing ourselves to the band, the business. And in some senses it was, but, it, but we didn't, we found like, I found that we, we didn't really collaborate any, mm. we collaborated less because we wanted to be away from each other mm-hmm. more when we were in this, sim, mm. you know, same space. Mm. And it was hard because it was always sort of Jay and I would do all the, the heavy lifting with the writing. And, and I did all, you know, majority of the lyrics and really a lot. I mean, most of the music is mm. completely was completely mine. And, and it was hard to, there wasn't really another songwriter in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I think that was just kind of wearing on me over time, you know, it's like mm-hmm. giving, giving all this material and creative energy to something. And if everybody is on board and, 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 you know, has, is putting effort in, in other ways, other aspects of the business, like Garrett would work on, you know, the, the MySpace page or the Facebook or whatever. And like everybody would help promoting and we did that in some ways, but then it, it's just, it's hard to get that equal, it is hard. Yeah. you know, effort um, of course. from everyone. And, and I, and then I, like I said, I think some of the reality of touring wasn't what it uh, looked like from the outside. Um, and we had a couple of pretty hard runs, you know, through the Midwest where we, you know, got our asses kicked for <laughs> lack of mm-hmm. a better um way to describe it you know um yeah and the drives get real long once you get out of new england right and and uh and i think yeah that 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 kind of woke a lot of the band up and Mm -hmm. for me it was just like i kind of begrudgingly just had already given in to this is like this but this is what i do you know um so i was sort of never gonna stop but but i also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was i wasn't gonna push something that not everybody was 100 percent into because right. it's it wasn't fun anymore it was it was work right. and this there's aspects of this career that that are work but never should the music playing be that way you know right the, the act right. the show is the time we 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 do all the other hard stuff for that's the payoff the show Absolutely. is the payoff yeah exactly so once that became not the case it was like okay we need to we need to really reassess here um so yeah it was and it was really hard for me to start over and i feel still feel in a lot of ways i i'm still starting over um even though i've been solo for eight years now Mm -hmm. um it you know it i couldn't go back to any of the clubs that we were filling before because Mm. It wasn't there for truth. Hmm. Um, and I had all those people that we had, you know, made fans into were, were, it's hard to bring people over from something that they're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been very few crossover that stayed with from the beginning because they have a nostalgia for that time sure. and those, that group. And so it's hard to convince them to, to jump on the next ship. Um, but it's been so rewarding in, in a lot of ways. Cause I learned so much about business marketing and all those 
things that Garrett was doing. Um, and I'm still inspired, you know, I still feel I have something to share and I'm getting better at my craft. And that is a motivator in it, in of itself, you know, mm-hmm. um, I have way more anxiety than I ever had back then. I would just, you know, great gigs in wherever let's, let's fucking go load up. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mm-hmm. care. Like we're getting paid in pizza. Like now it's like, I have all these other things I'm thinking about that need to, it needs to be in line with the family life and like supporting. I've got folks to support and, and um, bills to pay all those things that happen as you get older. But, um, but the music element is still really uh, fruitful. I feel like, you know, I'll have large periods of, of, of dry spells. Like after I I'm, I'm finishing an album right now and I'm, I haven't written a song in months, you know, but I just mm-hmm. need to like get this one done mm-hmm. and get, then I can turn the page on a new slate and be like, okay, like let's see where this, these years lead me and what, what's inspiring me now. But, you know, I need to close that chapter before I can kind of start over. Sure. So in some ways I'm super like envious of, I would love to eventually have a, another project that is other songwriters that I could just lend my own, ear and and efforts to that mm-hmm. but not not be as attached as i i have i have to be for my own entity well yeah the the whole approach to being in a band even if you're the band leader versus you are the brand that there's a whole different approach i mean or an amount of work behind what that means let's talk about how you stayed uh, creative and focused and busy during COVID. I know that you did a lot of um, live streaming, um, mm-hmm. as did I, but I I was really impressed with your shows um, and how you would really engage. My struggle with that scenario, it was just so cold to me. I'm singing into a phone, mm-hmm. responding to comments on a laptop. I was like, if this is fucking it, I'm mm-hmm. out. You know, yeah. I got through a hundred just basically so I could I could know what day it was. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but life just went into a complete tailspin. I didn't know what day it was. I mm. some days I didn't wear pants, you know, that that, uh, that whole shit. Is that one of the today is today one of those today days? Today is one of those days. Yeah. Thank you. I'm not I'm not gonna yeah. stand up because I don't want to scare you. Um, but how did you stay creative during COVID? Um, what were some of the things or little tricks or lessons that you learned um, from yeah. that experience that, that kept you motivated now that we're, and I see that you're touring again and doing uh, shows here and there and, and even putting some, some tours together. So how did you, how did you muster the, the, the strength and the focus to get through that? Oh man. Um, medication. <laughs> uh no i have i mean we started what we call the kind folk which are like the the street team the modern day street team um you know on facebook how you can make like a a a group a fan Mm -hmm. group yeah um we put a lot of effort into that as we started to see people were really looking for a way to connect with their tribe with their community um and 
I just did every Thursday night was was when we would live stream and and I started bringing my wife Emily into the live stream with me because for, for that same reason you were saying I I, I was sick of myself by mm-hmm. the third show mm-hmm. and and I'm thinking like these people have heard these songs already like where am I going to go from here you know like I, I'm I don't want to play that it, it, it like you when you lose that going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, right. that energy of a yeah. room yeah. and the, the, the reason where we started doing this in the first place of trying to win the room over. And that, you know, that feeling when it happens mm-hmm. is gone when you're live streaming, you I mean, anybody who can get off on a bunch of hearts kind of flying up or let, no. you know, thumbs up it, it no. is lying to themselves. Yeah. It's not the thing. So when I started bringing Emily in, it became more of a comic Mm-hmm. relief element and i well, loosened it, up we would have a drink it's it's we humanity would, it's yeah it's it's real people it's yeah. like watching one person ver- versus watching two people at least as a viewer i get to see an interaction like yeah. and for you as a performer and emily obviously you know like you get to feed off of that energy and that's yeah. This is, as we say, this that was that thing. It's humans feeding off of some sort of intangible thing. It, it's humans reacting to energy, and yeah. I can I can understand why it would have been beneficial for you to bring Emily in just to break up the the, the coldness of this situ of this fucking yeah. cold situation. You know, like yeah. I, you know, so I. And and you were getting incredible numbers and and finding new fans and are you finding that all of that work is translating to what you're doing now? Like, are you are you finding that that foundation that you laid during COVID is now kind of you're reaping some of that benefit of that fan uh, creation? Uh, absolutely, and I think that we'll we'll find out more as things open up more and people become more comfortable going out, um, you know, we, we had some huge growth in, 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 in follower numbers on, on Instagram and Facebook alike in the last two years. And I haven't toured, you know, we haven't, we've been home. So that is a good indicator. I haven't felt personally like I'm where I want to be because, you know, we, we had tours planned and everything was canceled. Um, and we were showing some really good signs of, of momentum, uh, coming off of playing with Trevor Hall for a couple of years. And that experience, you know, opened up a lot of doors. And, um, so I, I think the, the, the short answer is yes. Like the, the, that work is paying off. We just signed with an agency, finally and um booking or management or book booking agency yeah um thank you we'll 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 find out if if it's worth congrats (laughs) in a in a couple months i suppose um but you know all these things that that had evaded me for a long time are starting to come together like um and it was a time that i wouldn't have written some of the stuff that I have, you know, without that experience hmm. to draw from, hmm. um, trying to look at it through rosy eyes, you know, the fact that I wasn't 
away for the first two years of my daughter's life was obviously um, intangible as as far as like the opportunity to to be there Mm -hmm. um, for that time. And, And I think that saved me from what you talked about the, the, the monotony and the struggle to, to, to feel like you have a purpose or what, mm-hmm. you know, like it mm-hmm. for, for so many musicians, I, I, I know like myself included, like if we can't do what we've been put here for, then it's a really scary, dark place that we we've, we've, we've landed in, you know, and, and, I certainly didn't. I, it, like you said, like if live streaming was was going to be it for the future, like I'm, I'm done as well. Like you know, like I, yeah. I um, I just don't get the the satisfaction and and right. um, I'm I'm too self deprecating of, of mm-hmm. a person to 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 have to spend that much time with myself, listening to myself. Right. Um. I need you know so many. I'm sure you've gotten this before too, but like people, when people say like, Oh, I'm, I'm sure you heard this before, but you, you were amazing. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I could, I need that on the reg. Keep it <laughs> like, coming. Keep it coming. Please. sweetheart. <laughs> like, cause I, I am not sure. <laughs> right, right, I'm right. constantly unsure about right. how, what, what the fuck I'm doing. Right? right. Or that it's even getting across, you know, totally. like, so Oh, please, you connected like, with the shit. Please tell me about listening it. <laughs> to this. Tell, tell the musician yeah. that they're amazing. Next please, time. Even if they're not. Please. Right. <laughs> please help everyone out. Yeah. It, Next yeah. time you see someone playing some live music, just go up and say, Hey, I really dig what you do, you know, and thank you Absolutely. for doing that. And here's, here's a, yeah. uh, here's a, th- here's a hundred dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, man. I mean, it's. Yeah. I still don't know. It's kind of the wild west. We're we're entering a new a new phase of this of the pandemic, and yeah. um, I think people are very much ready to go out and see music. But then there's all these other factors as well, and um, you know, I can't blame people for not going either. So right, you know, it, I, I'm seeing in certain markets like ticket sales lagging more sure. than usual and then other places it's totally fine, fine. Right. totally fine so we're heading south we're going to florida where there's no pandemic right <laughs> i played there last year and i was like oh nobody cares like <laughs> this is great like uh for you know for better or worse but like yeah. i mean a lot of the, most of the shows are outside and, and right. knowing what we know now it's like yeah this is this is great we can still it's sustainable make, yeah. make a living Right. But right. you know, in the in the you know, the asshole of winter in New England, it's it's a little and I got COVID, uh, you know, uh, right before Christmas, I had to cancel all my year-end shows and yeah. Uh in a way I feel liberated now a little bit, you know, I feel like we have this window of opportunity to go out and perform and stuff, but I also mm-hmm. understand how people you know are still not interested. Um mm-hmm. it's just uh it's I'm hard. ready. For, I'm ready for it to be fucking done. I'm just done. So, so ready, and, and so many of us are. It's just yeah. So I mean, I'm grateful for things like this to be able to like get, you know, get some of these, communicate some of these things with with a with a friend and and the, somebody who's in it too. And and mm-hmm. uh, I think that uh, this time has taught me a lot about my mental health and wellness mm-hmm. and and same and same, how bro. I really you know I. I've always taken 
exercise to be my therapy, mm-hmm. whether it's surfing or just hitting the gym, go for a run. And, you know, I had back surgery this year and a lot of those things were taken away. And I'm, and mm. during those moments, I, you know, I started really realizing, and I'm still kind of figuring it out. Like, you know, we, I do all this good stuff to help my body be strong and, and eat well and all that. But, but I'm not taking, I'm not doing anything mm-hmm. for my head. I, right. need to, I need to, I need to talk to people about this. I need to, yes. t- you know, think of it as it's another part of your body you need to take right. care of. Oh, my child, you can feel it coming Waves across the sea Close my eyes as it crashes over Tell me what it means If we're only this night Will we divide or conquer? It only takes one light to drive through the darkness and prosper. Hold me close, I'm falling out of reach. I can hear the spirit calling me in my body. Tell me about all my relations. I started thinking about death a lot <laughs> during the pandemic. <laughs> and I wrote this song really early on, you know, trying to have like an optimistic. Because I mean, in the beginning, man, like we, we didn't know, right? Right. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I'm mm. thinking like, you know, if this, if it were to end, what i've had i've also like i tried to like draw on experiences i've had in life where i felt close to dying mm-hmm. and it's a, a couple times i've been surfing um in the winter you know and things just didn't go well and you know swimming in without you know lost my board or whatever swimming in um with currents and all that and and thinking about you know how you know, I kind of start the song with like this, that analogy of the the wave coming mm-hmm. and, um, but then surviving those experiences, you know, almost wondering whether I'm on the other side or, or, or did I actually come out of that with, with wisdom or knowledge um, that was, you know, given to me because I made it through. Mm-hmm. Um and and I and I think when I finished writing that song, I knew I was gonna write a new album because it was mm. just like mm. I had the I had this line in the bridge. Um, the bridge goes, and over the world, hope it hovers like a lighthouse. Lonely song. One day we will wake up in a league of lovers, and we'll fight against our wrongs. Because if we were led here. Uh, as if life was faded or guided one by one, shall we meet again? Will our something paths be faded or like, you know, our mm-hmm. souls be mated? Will our souls be mated? 
after the burnt out sun. And that's what, that line. I was like, I'm going to call this album after the burnt out sun, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that just felt like where we were going. You know, mm-hmm. we were coming out of this tumultuous political mm. time and then throw this pandemic into the situation. And, and it just felt like we're, you know, what's it going to look like after everything shakes down? And if I'm not here, am I, okay? am I going to, you know, hopefully I'll be surrounded by all my relations mm-hmm. and, you know, at peace. Um, so it was a pretty, he- it was a heavy tune. That's why right. I wanted to share that w- one with you. Cause it's yeah. not really like, you know, it's not like a, 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 a pop hit type of vibe. It's like, this is what I was feeling and it felt really real and um, honest. And I think that's why I liked it so much. I mean, I would disagree with you. I think it does feel like a pop hit. You know, it it, it does have that production. Um, well, but, we, of course, we we tried to do that. You know, we tried to dress it up, but still, to me, have you know have that raw energy of just like mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm screaming the the right. chorus. You know, right, right, right. Two things. Um, one, how has being a father affected your songwriting and you bring up an interesting point choosing the key of a song so that you do find energy in that moment where maybe your voice will break those are two things that i'm fascinated by so let's start with the first question how has um being a father of a young daughter has that have you have you seen how that influences your writing Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's impossible to not mm-hmm. consider this tiny life that you're responsible for. Right. Um, is, and not let it influence you. Well, but is it, is it more like, um, are you finding <clears throat> it reflect in your lyrics or is it, does it just add to the drive of, I need to, I need to keep this house together. I need to support my family. Like, do you find that it's influencing and inspiring your writing or do you just feel a, a, a new motivator for not quote unquote making it? I mean, who knows what the fuck that even means, but does that give you, does that, does that light a fire just to get to the next level Um, or both? I think both. Yeah. Yeah. In in some ways I I don't like to think that way when I'm writing because then you write shit. Mm. Um, and anytime I start trying to force it, Mm. you know, then I'm, 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 Mm. I don't like it by Mm -hmm. the time, you know, whereas a song like that wrote itself, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a very simple guitar rhythm. Um, open D uh, it's in drop C drop C. I, you know, I think I start to finish was maybe an hour. Mm. Um, just hmm. let it flow, let it flow. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had a couple, only a few times that I've ever written songs that way, you know, that mm-hmm. it, they, they came through like that. Right. Um, but certainly I think the perspective of having a child, it really magnifies your own mortality. Mm. And, and right, and, so it, you know, so it influenced the lyrics kind of on a back layer. Not necessarily, this is not what I'm talking about, but it it it's influencing it in a way that this is a constant thing. Now, in the back of your mind, you're thinking about it, and now it expands 
that prism in a way, some of the lyrical things that I was hearing in, in production choices. And I mean, it, it sounds f- f- fantastic. Are you playing drums on it? Yeah. A lot of, it's all toms though. Yeah. Until yeah. the end, until the end. So right. I, it's all, you know, it, it's, that was the other thing with this record. Like it's, it was just me and the producer mm. and we built everything from the ground up, mm. you know, which was how fun is that is though really fun it's very time consuming <laughs> yes and you end up putting way too much shit on it and then like t- you know like actually we don't need that oh that's a little much or whatever yeah. but you want to get all the ideas out and then then you kind of shape it in the mix right um but but yeah i had started with i played you know real kit and i'm like this isn't working <laughs> went to just went to just kick drum which is how i play it live solo wasn't enough right and then right. you know i'm like let's do these big anthemic tom things right you know right. and build this kind of wall of sound to 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 amplify the chorus and really give right. you that lift but most importantly it was like capturing the energy of the vocal mm-hmm. and you know i'm still not convinced yet like i need to hear it mixed properly right to to be like okay that's the right treatment for the vocal uh-huh. Um, so that you feel that rawness still. Right, right. Um, but um, yeah, man, so much fun to just like put down a scratch guitar and then be like, all right, here we go. Here like, we go. Let's get the sauce going. And and, and, um, and you have, but here's the thing. You, you have the skill to be able to build around that thing. Like you can do drums, you can do guitar, you can do all the vocals, you know, so there's, I, it's it's like a kid in a candy store at that point when you know when you're in a nice studio they have everything yep. in front of you that's my happy place let's fuck oh, yeah. around let's let's get yeah. some shit let's fuck around um i think it sounds yeah. great and um what are your plans for the record are you gonna do um kind of a traditional release like what's your plan uh banjo on everything because i mm. found banjo to be super Bro, like it moves, it like moves the choruses really well. So like, there's something I, intangible. I mean, not even intangible. There's something tangible. The banjo mm-hmm. is is such a unique sound, and yeah. and and from a production standpoint, it cuts in a way nice. that yeah. nothing else nothing else can do. That there, yeah. it's it's this just delicious. Uh, trebly staccato e thing, yeah. That that's why it's on fucking old man by Neil Young. You know, like yeah. th- there's something grounding by it and something ethereal by it. Yeah. At the same time, it's I don't timeless and it's like, but it's rhythmic. Yes, it goes, but it's old timey at the same time. It's, it's like timeless and old timey yeah. at the same time. Yeah, but it go like it goes well with a hip hop beat. It goes right. well with a driving acoustic kind of rhythm you know right. i've got a pop tune on this record very pop tune that i put banjo on the chorus i'm like that was the p- that was what was you know like right. it, it just went like that for a lot of these tunes um is this a is, yeah. this a is this a standard banjo or is it like a uh, like a uh what do they call banjitar banjitar so is um, it is it a proper banjo or is it is it just a tuned yeah guitar? That one, that one is. Um, I've ended up buying a banjo guitar mm. halfway through uh, this session um, because I'm like, 
I, yeah. this, this is something I'm going to need now. I was, and yeah. I, I researched a lot of, um, you know, the banjo versus guitar thing. And, and just to save me time from learning banjo completely, I'm like, <laughs> you know what? It, everyone is saying the same thing. Like you can make it sound just like a banjo. Yeah. Just get it. If, yeah. if you, if you're a guitar player and you're proficient at that. So right. that's what I did. I, I ended up getting a banjo guitar. Yeah. Um, so to, to, to talk about the release, we're, we're, I'm trying to get this whole thing done and have video content, everything kind of in, in the box, so to speak. Mm. And then we're going to start sharing that with, uh, we've already kind of had some talks with some labels um and really see if we can spark some interest i'm always just done an independent release and i yeah. really love to you know i know what that looks like i know what right. that you know so let's let's really try to get some attention with this and I, i've yeah. never had like had it like sitting ready to go before for like an extended period of time it's usually like you finally you finish the process you or whatever you crowdfund and you're like right, right. expectations are like, I need to get this out right away because these people are waiting. And right, right. this is the first time I haven't done that. I'm like, okay, I'm almost done and I'm just going to sit on it and like, make sure not for too long. Cause then I'll, you know, want to re-record everything and right. question it too much. But, um, but I definitely want it. We're going to try to shop it around and see, you know, see if we get any bites. And if not, well, I can, but I, I'm also I'm going to release it in three parts. Okay. Um, so so as to make you know just make the make the whole thing last longer and. Right. It's the it's the whole question of the you know releasing releasing a record versus releasing singles. Yeah. And is there a benefit to staying on the radar? Right. And and staying on the radar means being present kind of in social media um, per single, and then you work up to something else like that. That's what, that's something that um, the sweet remains has been, has been working with or an approach that we've been dealing with, you know? Mm -hmm. And I tend to think that that is, that is how you should do it now is that you have to stay present because once you release a record, it's done and gone. And maybe you mm -hmm. put some bread behind it. But a better way, I feel, we feel, is that if we release something every month, we have another reason to stay hip with us or, mm -hmm. you know, stay current. You know, I'm always fascinated by these um, conversations about how do we negotiate? How do we negotiate the music business now? Five years ago, you really only made bread when you got on the road. Uh, and when that went away, well, how, where's our income, you know, mm -hmm. and it's so competitive to get placements and on, on, on playlists and, um, you have to really spend a lot of time, you know, it took us over 10 years to find our demo, find the right booking agency that puts us in the right places that they still buy CDs and, you know, this whole thing, but negotiating this new norm, how are you doing that? Oh God. I mean, not thinking of playlisting as a marketing strategy, not getting obsessed with any one mm -hmm. component of the industry. Um, you know, I have a tendency to compare and you, and, and, mm -hmm. and 
compare mm-hmm. comparison is the the you know pillar of joy <laughs> right right um you know i i'm trying to focus on the street team and the actual real fans that we've harnessed and 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 how do we set them loose mm-hmm. you know to help to help you like like we used mm-hmm. to do in college right these people are motivated they want to see you succeed they care about you much more than any label mm-hmm. and there's more of them you know mm-hmm. they all know people right. right um and if the music is really connecting with them um bring them into that <clears throat> process and 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 let them know how how appreciative you are and special they are do you um, do the do you do the patreon thing i don't i i i've thought about it i am a little intimidated by the what my own expectation would be for it you mm-hmm. know to to make mm-hmm. sure that people are getting what they want and i right. i don't i really don't like the pressure of having to like come up with you know content exclusive content for people right i just i'm i I can't ever have like a structure. Like that's why I'm a musician. Right. right so right. being tied to something like that would, would ultimately, I think be hard for me to, to, to keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, it would feel more forced. And, and I, and <laughs> I, I, I don't want that. Do you have any memories of our tour? I think it was in 2010. Yep. And yeah, it was, we, we toured in, in Germany. We, we fucked around. It was me and you, Greg, not yeah, mostly Denmark, I think mostly Denmark, but a little bit in Germany yeah. and, uh, yeah. our, our homie, uh, Shay Alexander mm-hmm. cutting yeah. up, cutting up the provinces, drinking all the balls and balls, I mean, by the way, people balls, don't be, don't be crude. Uh, balls is a, is a liquor, uh, is a, is a booze. So, Anyway, it's a vodka, isn't it? I thought they did a variety of things. I feel like there's a balls um, gin that, you know, I think they just do spirits, you know. Okay. Um, Do you have any, uh, any particular recollections of that, of that tour? I mean, certainly when things went astray. (laughs) Oh, oh, please tell me when the things went astray on that tour. Just, I believe I was, um, I think you had cut your lip or, or your, your gums, like you had something stuck in your gums, right? Okay, this is where I chime in on this story. I I, I didn't just get something stuck in my gums. Was, okay? was it glass? Yes, it was fucking glass. I was eating. Okay. So we, we, well, first of all, we roll up to Tanta Olga. That's the name of the fucking venue. I forget. This was the only, like, not sexy show on the tour, I feel like. Right. Too. Right, yeah. right. And we kind of roll up. We're all kind of like harumph, you know, like this is, yeah. we're in a rock club. Like this shouldn't be this a thing. Not, yeah. But they invite us up and we're having our band dinner. And there's some salad and some whatever. And I put some salad on my plate and I bite into this bite of salad. And a piece of glass gets jammed into my gums, right? Mm-hmm. Now my mouth is bleeding uncontrollably. Right, there was glass in the salad. There was glass in the salad. Yeah. And we're supposed to play like in a, in an hour and a half or whatever, but we're having band dinner. And you're 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 you are being a sweetheart and you're like, listen, give me the keys to the rental car. 
I'll go get some dental floss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you bounce, you could get the shit. You come back with the dental floss. I, I get this piece of glass out of my gums and we're cool. Everything's cool. We finish up dinner and it's like, all right, well now we should really uh, load into this gig. And we go to the car and I'm like, where, wait, car's locked. Where the, who has the keys, you know? Mm. And young Will Evans says, um, um, hold on. Um, hold on They're No, no, they're not here. Mm-hmm. Turns out, uh, uh young, in, young in blood, uh, got the dental floss. Thank you very much. Um, my dentist is, is very thankful uh, for you and, and your work. Uh, but, for, but locked the car, locked the rental car with all our gear. Hold on. I did okay. not actually hit the lock button. Oh, I, right. You... I, so I went into the back where all our luggage was mm, right. and, you know, I, and I put the keys down, mm-hmm. um, in the, in the trunk, essentially, the trunk. It was a, yeah. you know, a van and yeah. I'm, I'm in there digging through. And then right. I get the floss, I and I shut the door, and the keys right. are in there still. And this is what I don't know what the deal is with this. this You're right. W, but the car locks itself. Right. With the keys in it. Right. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't and, happen. It shouldn't and, happen. And on top of that, I I managed to get someone there to to uh, pick the pick the lock. Mm. Like a, a proper locksmith shows up while you guys are like playing the gig or whatever, mm. and. Cause I'm like, this is, this is not good news. If we can't <laughs> like, like the whole evening's going to go really astray. If we can't, well, and you were flying car. out the next morning, you had to get exactly. your luggage. Yeah. So the guy comes and he, I mean, he's literally like, I'm, you're seeing the, the, yeah the hook through the window and he's right. hitting the unlock button. It still won't go. Right. I've never seen anything like it. I was like, this is impossible. So then what we smash, he smashes one of the windows. You hold on. Captain glossy uh, over here. Let's let's okay. what else th- happened. No, this, this is, but this is a moment that we should celebrate because we got all got through it. <laughs> so I think luckily I brought a guitar in initially. Yeah. So I even yeah. did like an hour thing, but I was like, listen, no one is here. We're at fucking Tanta Olga. We're like, I'm out. We have bigger fish to fry. We have you going home the next day. The car is locked. The keys are inside. Like, we are fucked. Like, thank you so much for the glass and the salad. We're going to just yeah. <laughs> figure this shit out. We flag down like, a, like, a, like the Danish equivalent of triple A, right? Yeah. We flag this motherfucker down. He comes over to the car and says... Uh, well, the only thing I can do is just smash the window. And we're like, yeah. no, this no, no, was, no, no. This was, this was after the locksmith came. Okay, could be. I don't know. I was, I I was playing a gig, Will. While you were okay. gigging, I, oh, yeah, I know. But I, like I said, we, I, we, we, I tried to get a proper, like, I mean, I don't know how else we would have gotten in, though, because he tried for like an hour. And then, you know, muscle WrestleMania guy came, <laughs> and I believe... We decided to, that he would smash Dana Shaw, the Dana Shaw Colgan. So, so he, <laughs> no, no, hold on, hold on. All right, so, all right, so Dana Shaw Colgan rolls up and we're like, hey, our keys are in the car. He's like, well, I'll just smash this window. And we're like, no, 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 thank you. Thank you so much. Like, go on your way. 
and we go back to the Airbnb and we're, you know, the, the car is under my name. My credit at this point is very thin, but the car is under my credit card. And we go to bed. We're calling. I'm calling the U.S. like to try to figure this shit out. The next morning, we go to the restaurant that we're illegally parked in front of. We ask them for a hammer. They have one. And oh, right. Okay. So you didn't actually do it. I left that night without any of my shit. No, no. Somehow. No, no. I guess. No, no. Didn't we smash the tiny window up front and then realize <laughs> yes, that we right. couldn't even get our hand we into unlock the get thing? In. Right. So, so how did, I don't know how you got home. You know what? And at that point I didn't care how you got home. Anyway, we got, so we smashed one window, realized that we can't, that we can't even unlock the thing. The car just sits there overnight illegally. We get a, a hammer from the restaurant that we're parking. With. We bust another window. How did you, no, you went home without your shit. Right. I did, yeah. I don't know how I had my passport though. Oh, these are all lucky. These are all interesting details. This is why it's glossy, Brian. No, I get I, it. I think, but I, didn't that same night, didn't you get robbed? <laughs> the next night. Don't worry about oh, it. We're okay. just getting started on this motherfucker. <laughs> um, no, so then we take a hammer to, to this beautiful rental car, this brand new Volkswagen thing. Now we're smashing other windows to try to get in. <laughs> Greg dives in, finds the keys. Now we're driving down the fucking highway in Denmark with two open windows. We have the small one up front and the main one on the side. And we're calling, bro, we're calling um, like um, we're calling auto body shops uh, from fucking Tanta Olga to wherever the fuck we're going to see. Bro, we put a uh, we smash the two windows of smash on a rental car, right? We put a, a garbage bag around one. We're bombing down the highway, trying to get to the next gig. Then it was a loaf of bread in the other, right? Yes, that's right. We that's, had a loaf of that's bread. What I remember. <laughs> I remember the photo. We jam a loaf of bread in one. I mean, bro, this is the fuck. This is the wild west. The, I, I and I'll just wrap up this story uh, with this. We find we find a company in between the two gigs that will replace the window, the main window, not the little window, right? And we're like, listen, we don't have any money. We do have a case of beer and a little bit of bread, like a little, like a little bit of cash, you know. But here's a case of beer. They stayed, they they stayed open late because we were like bombing down. We like into the thing they're like replace the thing we're like oh my god we love you we can't pay you here's a little bit of money and here's a case of beer go in peace they said we can't replace this other one with the this other window not because there was a loaf of bread uh, jammed in it they're, they're, we don't have it in stock anyway long story short we continue the tour the next night we are robbed so anyway it was a great tour i mean what a good Prior to those those incidents, it was the, I mean, it was the best touring experience of my life. It was fun as fuck. Point, it was it was so fun, and and you know we were singing on Shane's tune, which yeah. was a lot of fun. Remember, yeah. I remember that night where we sang in the cathedral. Yes, uh, backstage, and the you know the reverb was incredible. Yeah, and yeah. for for somebody who was coming off of playing with the band, where 
I was doing a lot of the heavy lifting mm-hmm. to just be a just to just be a player, right? And to just contribute was such a joy and like a an eye opening experience. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh wow, if I'm not feeling great tonight, like somebody can pull right. the weight a little bit, or I right. can, you know, we can share the load, right? And that you know that energy was so. I, I'm still, you know, searching for it again, but yeah, I, I've had to kind of like forge my own past out of nece- out of necessity. <laughs> um, but that was a, that was a good that was a good run until <laughs> until it wasn't. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers to you and cheers to you, and, brother. Um, you know, you're you're we're we're family at this point. Yeah. Um, so thanks Give for that. having me. Give my best to Emily and uh, hope I get to host you guys out here in Phoenix real soon. All right, homie. I'll talk to you soon. Good night. All right, bud. Sounds good. Bye. Ciao.